It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. You're listening to Screen Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Screen Heroes podcast, episode 250. I'm your host, Eric, and I have my other two hosts with me, Ryan Hello. and Ray. Hey. Hey, hey. Happy 250 episodes, guys. Yeah, happy 250 episodes. It's so exciting. I'm excited. It's a big milestone. Did you ever think we would do 250 of these? No, I didn't think uh, I'd be alive this long. (laughs) I did. I know that we'll be podcasting till we die. Oh, okay. Together. You know, it'll happen together. We're all going to die together. Well, to Ryan's point, he may have agreed. He just thought that that would have happened already. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't think we're arguing on that. It's we're saying the same thing. Yeah. The timetable is just a little off. That's right. Yeah. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) well i was i mean i was more optimistic in that we would be alive at this point Um, it would have made me rich by now honestly sure sure yeah yeah we're yeah well anyway we are celebrating our 250th episodes i just want to thank everybody who has ever listened to our show even if this is your first episode hi welcome if this is your 250th episode thank you that's amazing and i don't know who you are but you should talk to us and with this in mind with this milestone we have decided to kick off a new monthly segment called mcu revisited we're going to go all the way back to the very beginning of the mcu and discuss review and analyze the first two phases of the MCU that released prior to our show starting the first show, the first movie we were able to review kind of in real time was civil war, captain America, civil war. So we're going to be going through the first two phases and we'll see how things go at that point. But we're looking at everything from a post infinity saga lens, right? So, you know, we're, anything's kind of up for grabs, things that come up later and maybe mean more now than they, they did originally, all that kind of good stuff. 
So we'll give a spoiler warning before we dive in, in case anyone hasn't seen the later films, you know, Infinity War, Endgame, that kind of thing, that may pop up in our conversations. If you haven't seen 2008's Iron Man, uh, I mean, I guess same difference. Before we kick that stuff off, though, uh, there was a little bit of Marvel news this week that I thought might just be worth discussing a little bit. They released a, a bunch of or confirmed a bunch of release dates for Phase 4, as well as a couple of new titles for movies. Uh, so today we're recording this on May 4th, 2021. And Happy Star Wars Day, everyone. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan. You're may welcome. The, may the 4th be with you. Yeah. May the fourth be with you as well. <laughs> um, we lift up our sabers. <laughs> Ooh, we got sound effects now. That's right. It's fancy. Uh, so this episode will release on May 5th. And so from May 5th, 2021 to May 5th, 2023, there will be planned 10 MCU films to release in theaters which is pretty crazy. That's, I think, the largest volume in a two-year span the MCU has done so far. They also have, you know, four uh, four more TV shows that have yet to debut that are already, like, filming or produced or done. And then, like, three more after that that are just in the early process. So we're going to get a lot of MCU content here. And, you know, they, they announced Captain America 4, but it doesn't have a release date yet. So we know that that's coming down the pipe maybe before or after a season two of whatever they call the next season <laughs> of Sam and Bucky Adventures. Um, but two two films got new titles, and that's Black Panther 2 and Captain Marvel 2 are now called Black Panther Wakanda Forever and The Marvels. Do either of you have any feelings about either of those titles? I think they are very apropos. I, like we were discussing last night, um, it is a sign that more of their movies are becoming team-up films. We're not going to see a ton of just one person in this movie getting all of the story. You know, and as the MCU grows and grows, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I don't have really strong feelings about AM. I think it's interesting that um, Ms. Marvel is probably going to be in the Marvels movie, and uh, you know, that, that's that's cool. I, I wasn't really necessarily expecting that. Um, I'll be a little disappointed now if Rogue doesn't show up too. But um, yeah, I, I honestly don't think we're going to get any real mutant content until Phase Five at this point, but. Um, it's that little Fantastic Four tease at the end, it's like, everybody's freaking out over that. It's like, it's literally just a number. We, yeah. He announced Fantastic Four already that they were, he has already, that was like D23 last year or something. It's the thing about it. That's so. the thing. Like, none of the stuff they showed besides the Eternals clip and the names for Black Panther and uh, Captain Marvel too are new everything else has been shown before so it was just a nice little update of hey sorry uh the pandemic slowed everything down here have a sweet little hug from marvel and you know what i enjoyed it i enjoyed my marvel hug and that's all i really needed to push me until loki 
that's going to tide you over for five weeks or six weeks or however long it is. We've got. I don't like. I don't like a lot of hugs. I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) I can actually say, yeah, that's accurate. I mean, as Rachel's friend, I know it's true. Yeah, I, I I thought it was just a cute little way to end it. You know, Phase Four, the Fantastic Four. I mean, maybe that'll be the finale of Phase Four. We'll be introducing the Fantastic Four in somebody else's film, some type of bigger team up film that they're not calling Avengers because Phase Four doesn't have an Avengers movie. Um, you know, but maybe yeah. that it's in title. You know, am I the only one not that excited to see the Fantastic Four yet again? Oh, I don't think I could care less about those characters. (laughs) And that's the big Marvel thing that they have to do is the first movie that was put out by Fox was campy and a little silly and a little fun in some areas. And then the sequel was pretty bad with all exception. Uh, with the exception of the Silver Surfer. And then there has been nothing good said about the Josh Trank movie. So, you know, Marvel has to make us care for these characters again, and that's going to be the big deal. That's their thing. I don't believe that Marvel will struggle writing a good story. Like, it'll be an entertaining movie because I have yet to see a Marvel movie that wasn't at least a little entertaining. I have uh, an issue or like, I I think they're going to struggle with making me give a shit. Yeah. Because I think one of the things the MCU has done for me is that the characters I've cared the most about, uh, with the exception of Captain America, with Steve Rogers, Captain America, with the exception of him, are kind of characters I didn't really know anything about. You know, like yeah, I was mm-hmm. I was introduced to the most of these characters in the MCU films, with the exception of Hulk, I guess. I knew Hulk prior to the MCU, but I'm not a big Marvel Comics guy. I know the X-Men to a better extent than what we ha- what we've had so far in the MCU. But I think I care about those movies, the X-Men movies, because of the cast. I really love the cast of the X-Men movies. And so for the Fantastic Four, I mean, if they cast the right people then yeah, I'll be excited because I get excited about actors, but those characters are, they don't really mean anything to me. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. They do for a lot of people though. Yeah. So, I mean, I get that, but yeah, I just, I, I can't get into the hype for that, especially not with literally just a number flashing on screen that we've already seen something like that before. So mm-hmm. for them. Well, and this will be the third iteration of fantastic four. Now we're on our third iteration of Spider-Man as well so you know at some which you were equally as excited for before it came out right exactly and now tom holland's wonderful it's nothing against him and you know jake gyllenhaal like totally like was fantastic in far from home and so i'm excited now for no way home but that's you know because of the cast and the the production crew around it i I don't know that i care about the character any more than i did i just really like what they're doing I think I care about Tom Holland's Peter Parker. Like, I am really concerned about where they go with him being outed as, you know, a murderer at this point. Mm -hmm. But it has not made me, you know, start reading Spider-Man comics again. 
Uh, I'm more like I'm more on Derek's side on this one. Like I only care about the next one because I get to maybe see uh, Daredevil or Charlie Cox again, or I get to see uh, you know She Hulk because apparently they're the only two lawyers in the entire world. Um, and Foggy. And, yeah, and Foggy, I guess. But uh, you know, or like seeing Tobey Maguire again or Andrew Garfield again, like those. That's Alfred the only Molina. reasons I'm excited. Alfred Molina, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The supporting cast is the main reason why I'm excited for that movie. Kind of like the Flash movie. I'm not actually excited to see the Flash at all. I just want to see Keaton and everybody else come back. Yeah, yeah, and like that was the thing with the last Spider-Man film. Is my favorite part of Far From Home is Jake Gyllenhaal and his character and Mysterio he and everything. Crushed it. But in the first one, it was the same story. Michael Keaton was the best yeah. part of that movie. So he was you know. wonderful. Yeah. And, and yeah. so I'm, t- I'm totally with you. Like, that's what I'm I'm looking forward to the exact same things in Spider-Man three. So it's a weird it's a weird place to be. And so for Fantastic Four, I mean, it, for me, it just feels like it's taking the place of some other characters who have not had an opportunity to shine. So we can try a third time with the same set of characters. And that's, you know, it just feels like a bummer. It's Marvel's first family. That's true. So I don't blame them. I get it. I get it. The problem with Fantastic Four is Sony did put out good Spider-Man movies, whereas Fox didn't really put out good Fantastic Four movies. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with There's you there. never been a good Fantastic Four movie. There's the first one that Fox did was serviceable. It was funny. It had a cute story. But it wasn't anything impressive, especially since Fox had also done uh, the X-Men and Blade, which at that time was incredible. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, looking through the retrospect lens, not so much, but it's interesting. At you the bring, time. It's interesting you bring up Blade because we're supposed to be getting another Blade with Mahershala Ali and it's not on the phase four slate, at least not yet. I don't know if this is the entire phase four slate, but I'm kind of surprised that all of these other films are coming out before. Okay. So I think I know why in that, uh, kind of sizzle reel announcement trailer thing, they go over all the movies, but they still are holding two dates. Uh, in between that first announcement and last one. And I believe they're for Blade and Deadpool 3. Mm. And because things are still in pre-production mode um, on both of those movies, I think they don't want to even like put a trailer, like even the logo out there just yet. Like we know Blade's guaranteed and we know Feige has commented multiple times that Deadpool 3 is moving forward, but because those are probably also going to be rated R, they might just be, you know, straight to Disney Plus releases or something like that. That's a shame. Instead. So I don't know. This is my personal theory, my personal speculation, but uh, according to uh, their the dates that they have set aside for releases. There are two in there that don't correspond with anything. Yeah. Uh, in that trailer. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. But some of these dates are pretty tight. I mean, uh, black Panther Wakanda forever basically has to premiere 
like 12 months after it starts filming. Yeah. Which is, that's a pretty tight time frame. And I mean, the MCU's, I guess it's a bit of a machine at this point. So I assume that they know what they're doing, but yeah, that's, uh, a, that's tight. They're shoddy CGI on the rhinos and the train fight lead me to believe they need more time. <laughs> well, I don't know how much time the first Black Panther had, to be honest, for a comparison. I, I'm telling you right now, they need more time. <laughs> they need more time. Okay. There's never enough time. That's that's true. That is definitely true. All right. Well, anything else on the announcements before we switch over to Iron Man? Yes. Oh. Yes. So, according to a tweet on May 2nd, we have been pronouncing things incorrectly, and I just want to recant a few things because now we know better. Uh, it is Shang-Chi, and for years I've been saying Shang-Chi. And the actor playing him is not Simu Liu, it's Simu Liu. And he tweeted it, and I feel like I'm a bit better uh, for this, because now I'm saying things correctly. So, just wanted to get that out there. Cool. All right. Well, then we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we are kicking off MCU Revisited with 2008's Iron Man. We'll be right back, everybody. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we're back. So, spoiler warnings for the entire MCU, because I don't know what point somebody may want to bring up while we discuss this movie. So, we're talking 2008's Iron Man, MCU Revisited. Uh, we rewatched it this this weekend, just, you know, to kind of refresh. It had been a little while, but this movie is still, it's still my, it might be my favorite MCU film still. I'm not saying it's the best MCU film. I just think it's my personal favorite. And... I'm really impressed with how well most of it holds up. There's a few moments where the CGI is a little funky, but overall I think this movie is a great beginning to the MCU and holds up better than some of the others. What do you guys think? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this was the first time I've watched the movie since probably 2011 or 2012. Oh, wow. Um, so it was really weird going back and watching it, knowing everything that we know that happens in the MCU after this. Um, but yeah, I think overall it was still a really enjoyable movie. Uh, it's funny to look back at the things that they thought they were setting up that weren't like ever going to pan out. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was good, and then, like you said, it still holds up. So I was pretty impressed. The CGI was there was definitely some bad rough or bad or rough moments in there, but uh, overall, you know, you get that with movies when you go back and watch them after you know fifteen years or however long it's been. It's been almost to the day thirteen years. Thirteen years, released. yeah. Yeah, it was released on May second, two thousand eight. Ray, what about you? Oh, I absolutely adore this movie, and I feel like it uh, has aged very well in multiple regards. I was expecting a lot of the CGI to look even worse, and it didn't. So I was pleasantly surprised by the few spots that I saw that didn't hold up, because I honestly was expecting to see a ton. (laughs) Uh, And then on the flip side, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is very obvious that he had a hold of this character from the very beginning. He knew exactly what to do with him, and it it was just very joyful. Um, I I have had some more, you know, life experiences since then, and some of the stuff hit me a little harder than it did when I first saw it, you know, like actually seeing him be tortured. It wasn't just an entertainment uh, plot device. It it really sets him up to be a very emotionally strong person later on. And when he is the one to lay down his life so many times, um, it's it's impressive. Like he he's not as selfish as his rep gets him. That's fair. I kind of thought about that, too, because, you know, in in Marvel's Avengers, right at the end of phase one, Cap even makes that moment. It makes that comment about how Tony's not the guy to make the sacrifice play. But I actually think and I I think this is going to be reinforced when we get to Iron Man 2 as well. I don't think that that's ever true after he's been captured. I think after he realizes what Stark Industries has done, I don't think that's true of him from that point forward. Maybe not, but you can see why Cap would say that. I mean, it's he—he he acts like somebody who's not the guy to make the sacrifice play, and then in the last moment does it. Um, you know, probably from some sense that he deserves this, or like, you know, this is his one redemption moment, so he gets those moments multiple times. Um, whereas Cap doesn't really need any kind of redemption until maybe Civil War, you know, if if anything. So. You know, I, I understand why he says that. But, yeah, it's, uh, you know, the viewers know that he's the type to make that play. But, you know, the characters, I can see why they wouldn't know that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's totally within character as well. Uh, it makes a ton of sense for Cap to say that line. Is he, we have to assume that the characters don't necessarily know everything that happened at prior events because they weren't there. So, why would he assume that the Tony Stark he just met a day ago is the sacrificial 
kind of guy. Yeah, the guy that's like probably all over the news about, you know, being self-absorbed and all these other things. I mean, Cap in like the first 20 minutes of his movie, we see him dive on what he thinks is a live grenade, telling all his squad mates to get back. Um, so, you know, he's obviously the guy that would make the sacrifice play, but, um, okay. yeah, yeah, that's definitely not, not a question. Right. Cause you know, Steve, Steve was born that way. Yeah. Always right. From day one, he would do whatever it took. Tony had to go through something very traumatic to become that person. It was an acquired taste. Right. And that's a big difference. It's an important distinction. You know, it's not necessarily meant to diminish Tony as much as it's meant to um, show off Steve. I think. Yeah, reinforce that Cap is that guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one thing, you know, fairly early on that uh, I wanted to make sure that I touched on. So, after he's captured and he's, uh, you know, getting to know Yinsen and they're they're talking about each other and everything and they're talking about their families, and Tony, you know, shakes his head that he doesn't he doesn't have any family. Jensen's got that line about, you know, the man who has everything and nothing. And, you know, that was a good line in the movie on its own. But now, after Endgame, that line's a, a lot heavier to me because this is a guy who he did. He, he had everything and nothing. And then he ends up getting that piece. He gets Pepper and he gets a kid and he has that you know, nearly perfect family life that he that he voluntarily steps away from right for something bigger than him. And I think that's a really cool story arc that connects back to that line that only meant a little bit in 2008. It was just a lot more powerful this time around. Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree. It's, I didn't really put that much thought into it. I thought when the movie came out, that was a pretty powerful line in itself. So, um, but yeah, I mean, knowing the arc that he's gone through, that definitely adds a little more gravitas to the to that line. Absolutely. Yep. You know, right to your point earlier, like Robert Downey Jr. just knows this character from from out of the gate, right? Because the movie kicks off and he's in the Humvee, you know, and he's joking around with the soldiers. He's got what I'm assuming is scotch, um, you know, in his glass and everything. And um, like that sets the tone for this character. I, I don't feel like, he had to learn them at all. Tony is incredibly consistent from, from the get go. And I, that's, just, this is true for a few other characters in the MCU as well, but I was just really impressed with how he's, he's still the same person in Endgame, right? He's grown. He's learned a lot. He's um, more, he has more uh, maturity, more, uh, life experience to look back on but he has the same personality right his character is improved he's a better person but he's not different Mm -hmm. it was kind of painful watching him with pepper in this movie yeah yeah right because uh you know you know what she ends up being and regardless of your feelings like Gwyneth Paltrow in real life her character um has a distinct arc even as a secondary character and you know she's been for years watching him sleep with all these random women, you know, and then she marries him eventually. And, uh, you know, has, or were they married? I maybe guess they weren't, maybe they weren't married, but they got married um, at the beginning of infinity war. They make Mm -hmm. a comment. Somebody says like, Oh, congratulations. And gotcha. 
Yeah, well, I mean, at the very least, they have the kid. I mean, they, their, their relationship has definitely progressed. You know, she's kind of taken over uh, a lot of the stuff at Stark Industries. And, you know, they've so seeing her in this, you know, taking out the trash, um, which was a great line, but. Uh, <laughs> oh, it is you know, a fantastic line. Yeah, that it was definitely a little awkward watching that in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's even better when you know that Leslie Bibb uh, the actor who plays Christine Everhart is married to Sam Rockwell. Oh, really? Yeah, they actually <laughs> met on the set of Iron Man 2. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that. That is really so, fun. And fun fact, if you guys didn't know, uh, Steve or Sam Rockwell was one of the actors who tried out to be Tony Stark. And uh, so it would have been even cuter if they would have met. Mm in the first film that is cute um yeah it, it is interesting to see pepper grow because i mean stark industries she's the ceo after yeah. i forget when that happens in the middle of the second movie he transfers things over to her in iron man 2 is that's that early on yeah okay i thought it was a little later yeah so mm-hmm. i mean it, yeah she gets ba- he believes he's gonna die from the palladium poisoning so right. he basically goes through uh the the stages of grief on his own and he does very immature inappropriate things and he lets her take over right right so of course like another character that is just very interesting to me per- on a personal level as, as well is you know Obadiah Stane played by Jeff Bridges who's one of my my favorite actors and it's still weird to me seeing him in this role cuz he almost always plays a protagonist in some capacity not a hero necessarily but but he's usually the protagonist in his movies and you know he's clearly not in this one he's the main big bad but he still is the only person who can make riding a Segway look cool. And you say that every time we watch the movie. Because it's I, true. I'm not denying it. <laughs> I I didn't think he looked that cool riding on the Segway, so. It's the cigar. It's the cigar. <laughs> he was but great. I... I would never argue that. Like, he's he can play basically anything, you know. Um, I wouldn't put him in my favorite actors, but certainly he's a delight whenever he's on screen and whatever he's doing. And uh, yeah, this was no exception. He's still one of the great villains of the MCU, even though they killed him off in the first movie. Um, but, like he's so maniacal and, and manipulative uh-huh. and just like a perfect, like shrewd businessman type role. He is the best Lex Luthor we have. Pretty much. Yeah. Cause you know, the, the, the businessman villain a lot of the time is just this giant asshole, right? Who's just, you know, waving their dick around the entire time and everybody just hates him. Because <laughs> that's usually how it's painted. It's nice. No, and you're simple. totally right. That's just not a normal Derek thing to say. It's a Rachel thing to say, and I love it. I didn't know how else to, to frame it, but he's no, not like I love that, it. Right? He is much smarter. He's much more, you know, toned down and patient and you know methodical about the whole thing and it just makes him so much more interesting as a character right he's still the, the fact bad guy that he orders the hit out on uh tony stark and like he when he comes back he's happy about it he's like all right well you know plan b i just take his tech now i was gonna just take the company now i'll just take hit yeah, he, then, he adjusts. Then, 
then you also get the trope of like evil guy monologuing and leaving the guy the hero in a trap and not assuring ensuring that he's dead before he walks away type thing you know um so he does have his faults as a oh, character not oh. nothing with draft bridges but like in terms of the way he was written mm-hmm. um, I, clearly if you're that smart you're gonna wait until the guy dies in front of you before you leave now see i almost think that he wanted to use the armor and he was kind of hoping that he would find a way out of there I think, like, if he dies, he dies. But if he doesn't, then I get to kill him with this big armor we just built. So that's cool, too. The final act definitely starts to show the issues with them writing the script as they were filming. (laughs) You know? Because there's some stuff that's just not quite making as much sense as the characters were making earlier in the movie. You know? And I think this is definitely one of those things. Because even if he waits for Tony to die... Tony's still dead with the hole in his chest and clearly a piece is missing. So that leads, that's a, that's a big red flag. That's going to lead to a big investigation. Or if he leaves like he did, then yeah, there's a chance that Tony comes after him. And so like, there's not like a good, the plan's not really that good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the neurological, you know, temporary paralysis device is a interesting piece of technology. And I appreciate it's never that. used in the MCU ever again. Ever Which is again. a damn shame because it is devious. Well, it definitely would have fixed things in Infinity War. You know, Squidward would not have been able to succeed so well. Yeah, any movie that Iron Man was in, he basically would have been able. He would have been able to stop the Hulk probably in, uh, you know, in the Hulk in, in, our, in Avengers two. Yeah, you know, he would have been able to do all kinds of stuff, but. Mm. He just left that one little bit of tech out. Mm-hmm. That's always a complaint. It's non-lethal too, so it's like you know, what's his excuse? Right. Yeah. No, I'm 100 percent with you. And he could even have his helmet designed in such a way so he doesn't need the earpieces. Exactly. You know, there's there's so many ways they could have applied that. Uh, he could have built it into the repulsors in his hands in some way. Like, there's so many things they could have done. And that's as a sci-fi techie kind of guy. That's always a pet peeve of mine when you're world building and you just leave out giant things like that, uh, that are you like, it's used twice, you know, it's not even a throwaway item. It's used two very key moments in the film. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm with you there. The, his whole plan goes from being incredibly intelligent to him just like wanting to throw down basically, because once he goes in the Ironmonger suit, Right. And you got shield coming with pepper, which I guess he knows is happening somehow, but he decides to fight them all with it and then go out into a, uh, into public and to heavy traffic. And he's throwing cars. Like, let's say he beats Tony. Okay. What's the, what's the plan here? Yeah. Uh, eventually the military is going to take him down and he's going to get arrested. Anyway, he does, you don't succeed. Once you're in that big thing and you're threatening uh, government agents' lives. You're uh, destroying public property and harming civilians. Like, dude, you're done, and you don't have enough control over this tech to get away with it. So, uh, if Tony ended up dying during the fight, or you know, at least being incapacitated, it it wasn't going to go too much farther. So. I wish they would have had a little bit more time of him kind of 
losing his shit. Like, maybe not his mind, because he's just too smart to have this kind of break him down. But if they would have had him just become less and less patient, more outbursts like the Tony Stark built this in a cave, which is still one of my favorite lines to quote. (laughs) Uh, You know, I just have him go more from quiet and methodical megalomaniac to crazed megalomaniac it would have seemed like a better transition is he becomes everything from like the long-term long con kind of guy to well short term we're making this work and that doesn't seem like him so just a little bit more story would have fixed that mm-hmm. yeah and th- there's a couple of other things that are maybe these these things are a little nitpicky but you know the fact that the Ironmonger suit can perfectly connect to Tony's arc reactor that Tony built on his own in his own private server that there are no plans or diagrams for that Obadiah is just somehow able to have his scientists spec out the socket for. Yeah. It's got the same, yeah, it's got the same plug <laughs> right? that's in Tony's chest, you know, and like even that device that he uses to remove it from Tony, like where did that come from? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like little things like that. And, you know, maybe that's nitpicky. I don't know. But well, like I was saying uh, about a little bit more uh, panic or force or something like he he if he had ripped it out with his bare hands and uh, like risked it being ruined by that, then even that would help me kind of understand how he gets to be such a short-sighted kind of guy. I think it would have been that much more intense of a scene too, if he had taken it out on his own, because the device always distracts me because my brain's like, where did he get that? And I can't help it. It's, you know, and having him just do it himself, that would have been better, I think. Right. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, the setups that were and the setups that weren't from this movie. Yeah. So, you know, obviously now we have, we talked about at the beginning of the show, Shang-Chi and the Legends of the Ten Rings or the whatever, what is something called something like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this movie has the Ten Rings in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the 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 symbols and and all that stuff, several name drops. Um, and so that's finally paying off all the way from 2008. But on the same hand, you've got that main villain guy that, okay. that's like with a big ring that he's like constantly feeling and like the camera focuses on several times. And it's like, okay, they're clearly setting this up to be one of the 10 rings. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out, nope, we're not doing the 10 rings right now. We're going to do infinity stones instead. So that he's, that's played by uh, Farhan Tahir, who um, I really only know from this and the 09 Star Trek film, which he's wonderful. in for the short time that he's in it, and he had a small part on Once Upon a Time. He played Captain Nimoy of uh, Nimoy, Captain Nemo of Twenty Thousand <laughs> Leagues Under the Sea, fame, and I uh, fucking crushed it. Like that show is all about hokey acting, and it's like basically a fairy tale soap opera. But he was easily the best part of his episodes. He's so. been in tons of stuff. It just tends to be stuff that I don't normally watch. Um, so he's been in a, he's still in tons of, tons of different things. So people probably know him. 
Um, but he su- supposedly was under the impression that he was going to be like the Mandarin. When and they, they were, they seem to be setting that up. Like he was definitely kind of, I don't know. Now looking back on it, it seemed more like he was like a leader of one of the offshoots sure. of the 10 rings and maybe not the Mandarin himself. Cause that was a really unorganized group for, uh, someone that was supposed to be as sophisticated as the Mandarin is, but um, maybe it was going to be a yeah. slow play. I don't know. Could uh, be. Yeah. But I mean, I could see how it looked like in 2008 that that's what they were setting up. And he was under that impression mainly because he didn't, now this is from what I understand. I'm not, I'm not, you know, quoting him here, but he didn't want to play a terrorist, but the idea of playing someone like the Mandarin, who's like a legitimate super villain, right? Who's incredibly influential and powerful and has these big arcs that interested him. And so he was pretty frustrated during all, because the movie was constantly being written and rewritten as they were going. It wasn't even done when they started filming that by the time it was over, he was pretty unhappy with what his role turned into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. What else? Absolutely. Ryan? That makes a ton of sense. I mean, that was the main one that I had in mind. Did you guys have some other setups and things that didn't pay off and that you'd notice? Um, I mean, there's some little things, you know, so there's some things that do, that do pay off, of course, that, that are interesting. Um, you know, you've got Rhodey, right? So Terrence Howard plays Rhodey in this movie and he gets replaced by Don Cheadle. And he's got his little moment where he's like, you know, next time baby, when he's looking at the Mark two, which incidentally is still my favorite design of any of his suits. I'm just going to throw that out there. That is my favorite suit. Um, and you know, while he does get it, in Iron Man 2, it's almost immediately completely replaced and just kind of forgotten about because there's no, like, the War Machine is a different suit, right? Easily. So I, I thought that was kind of, you know, looking back on it, like, just how different the Mark II looks from War Machine, it's a little weird. It's like they just forgot what the suit was. Yeah, I, I actually liked Terrence Howard as Rhodey, too. That was something that stood out to me, you know, I... A lot of people trash talk him and some with good reason. I mean, he was demanding more than like what, what uh, Robert Downey Jr. was getting paid for his role for to be in Iron Man two. So that's a little crazy, but uh, you know, as just taking it on the merits of what we see on the screen, he was actually a pretty good roadie and I'm a little sad that, uh, I mean, Don Cheadle's great. Don't get me wrong, but I, I liked Terrence's roadie. So that would have been interesting if that had continued. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're both like some of the best actors that we have. So we got pretty lucky that if you're going to replace Terrence Howard, you, you got Don Cheadle. Um, but yeah, Terrence is great in this. He, I, I, I buy into that character completely in this movie. Um, if sure. anything, the dude's got too much patience, <laughs> you know, for, for Tony in this movie. Um, but I yeah. mean, most of what they set up, though, other than the, the Ten Rings thing, really ends up panning out at least in some capacity. And there are some other lines that I completely forgot to, you know, take note of that hit harder when you know his entire arc. Um, just some things that he says that Pepper says that it, even, you know, happy being in the background in certain situations. They, John Favreau looks so young in this, too. It was weird. Did. Yeah. He did. Mm-hmm. Little baby. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even... No, he had a couple of lines because during the after the they raced to the plane, they had a couple. Yeah. Of lines, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, not necessarily that all of those things were intended to 
play out to something later down the road. They did a really good job of looking backwards and seeing what they had said, what they had done, and picking those pieces up later, right? And Happy is a great example of that. Like, Favreau stopped directing the movies pretty early on and his character continues to to grow and he's got a whole personality and interests and you know he's got you know the the larger roles in in the Spider-Man movies and that's a something they easily could have just forgotten about because it was just a director putting himself in his own movie and they could have just written that off and you know ignored it completely and I I like that they didn't do that they just kind of ran with it so, fun fact, Favreau uh, has always put himself in the movies that he directs. A lot of the time, it's more along the lines of, you know, small roles, cameos, like an elf. But then, you know, sometimes he does his own thing, like Chef, and he's the main character. But uh, he made himself Happy Hogan for one reason. He had already cast pepper Potts, and in the comics pepper and happy get married <laughs> and in 2007 2008 when they were doing this he thought he was going to be able to make out with <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> well Favreau all right I mean I don't see that as any different than Quentin Tarantino casting all these people that he just wants to see their feet uh, I feel like that's a gr- uh, that's a bad false equivalency. <laughs> Is it? I mean, at least Quentin Tarantino isn't making out with most of them. Oh. Uh, mm. I mean, that we know no. Yeah, I mean, maybe he is. I don't know. I don't keep track. Um, I think one of my favorite evolutions to come out of this movie is the evolutions of Tony's suit technology. Because this movie gives him three generations of suits, and each one is different than the, the one before it, and there's advancements to, to everything in those sequences where we see him kind of suit up and get ready and how it moves. And every time we see him, we get those advancements continued in some capacity. And I know this has been talked about before, but like basically if he encounters a thing, the next version of the suit fixes that thing. And we get to see that iteration continue on. So... You know, in this movie, you know, the Mark One, he has to have help getting into the suit and have help powering it up. And then the Mark, uh, the Mark Three, you know, has all of his robots doing it, but he kind of gets stuck in it and he can't really get himself out of it, right? But then, you know, when we see him in a, in Marvel's Avengers, he can walk, you know, on that walkway, and the suit can just kind of be pulled off of him as he's moving in stride, right? Iron Man Two's got the briefcase suit um you know i i love the evolution of his technology because he's really the only character who gets a good justification for having a new costume in every film and they really steer into it even in just this one movie and i like that they carried that torch Mm -hmm. yeah i mean for me it, it went a little off the rails when they started like making shit appear out of nothing um He's you know nanotech. yeah the nanotech and nanotech like even... isn't as fun because you know he's just standing there in a weird mocap suit whereas right. here you could tell that he was wearing a suit sometimes yeah yeah and i think that uh you know i think that having real world you know kind of basics to the suit you know it being 
feasible that it could exist because you're seeing it be built out of something or hearing that it's built out of something versus tiny microbots that come out of your bones and build armor around you or like come out of a watch in one of the movies you remember when he presses the watch and gets the gauntlet or whatever um you know stuff like that or the sunglasses or whatever i don't know star lord's thing where he has the earpiece and the helmet comes out of that i I mean at least he's a space guy right so they have space (laughs) technology but tony stark is still earth-based so it's a little harder to buy into but my favorite suit is the mark one like i like you guys know this about me i like the more practical like grounded suits that you can identify with more and so i you know every iteration after the mark one got less and less believable um so you know i liked these early movies when it was still had some weight to it one of my favorite things about the the first three versions of the suit is that when it moves you can hear it move right right there's all those gears churning there's the hydraulics like you can actually hear that every action he takes requires mechanical assistance Mm-hmm. right to happen and those sounds are just so cool they sound so good and crisp in 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 the movie still after all this time and i mean at a minimum you lose all of that when the suit becomes you know uh bendable foldable yeah know? and when that first suit when he gets shot in like the hydraulic thing yeah. and you you see his leg go down and, and it, like he can't lift it because it's he has to use his arms to physically lift his leg up because his body isn't strong enough to do that um you know that that all that made it more easy to buy into the fact that this is a real thing versus now you know he just takes bullets and it's like who cares you know there's no damage yeah I and mean, there's some things like you know in this movie for example towards the end when he's fighting obadiah and he's um when he's basically out of power and he takes off one of his gauntlets and then he goes to use the repulsor on that hand and it's not there anymore and i just i love that moment because later on he he fixes that right that's the glove thing that you were talking about i think that's in civil war yeah. um you know where he doesn't have that problem anymore um so i i at least like that it's consistent from that standpoint where it's like it's constantly iterating um and i did like in infinity war when he's fighting thanos that he when he's using up that technology right it starts to come off of his body to go into like where he's focusing it and i did think that was handled really well um, mm-hmm. but otherwise I agree with you. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Agreeing with Ryan is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's always the best option. I did like in uh homecoming Spider-Man homecoming, that scene where, where, uh, Peter's kind of yelling at the Iron Man suit. You know, if you really cared, you'd be here. And then the suit opens up and Tony walks out of it. I do still, I really like that moment. That's because it's a boss ass moment. Do you know how many times I want to have an entrance that's just like, what up? Now what? Like, oh, it's so good. Speaking of things that aren't consistent, we talked about the armor that is consistent. Obadiah's uh, ironmonger power levels, like his strength and everything like that. So you, you see him like with his hands on Tony's head at one point and he's like crushing it trying to kill him and can't do it. But then when the helmet comes off, he's easily able to crush it yeah. without trouble. Like, okay. So like Tony Stark's head is stronger than the armor because when his head's in it, you can't crush it. But then when the armor, when it's off, you can't like, there was a lot of weirdness with his strength levels and things like that. You know, uh, 
It now, made it a little distracting. Now watching it, the Ironmonger scene is more and more uh, written out of convenience. Everything yeah. was just basically convenient to the plot. So. And it goes back to that thing that we talked about that happens throughout the whole like first two uh, phases of Marvel, where their movies are basically them fighting guy that's exactly the same power set as them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's at least they got a little more interesting in like uh, Iron Man three. I a lot of people didn't like that movie. I liked that movie, but he wasn't fighting another guy with a suit. You know, there, right? He was there was a guy that had some similar powers, but he was more fighting his PTSD and like mental trauma than he was a, a, an enemy strictly. And I mean, I give this one a bit of a pass just because it was the first one. And then sure, but looking back, it. because we're doing a retrospective, yeah. yeah. Because they kept copying it, it becomes a really big problem. And it, this, and, and the power issue showcases a problem that they still have in the MCU, even through the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is how strong are things? Because yeah. it seems to vary wildly, even in its own confined story of a film or a season of a show, all the way up through from 2008 to now, that's still a problem. But it's not just a thing in the movies, though. Like, I mean, this has been a problem with comic books for a long time. Like, a lot of characters, arch nemesis is just them, but with a different looking suit, you know? Um, Well, a lot of their, like, sidekicks or uh, offshoot characters are just them with, like, boy or girl (laughs) added to it. Like, it's, it's a lack of creativity, but also a want to get as much like money out of the brand as possible. Yeah. And I think it's also like people see it as the easiest way to challenge the character. Like, you know, that old trope of fighting a mirror image of yourself is probably going to be the hardest and most difficult fight for you, but it's not, it, that might be interesting once or twice, but after a while, that's not interesting to see anymore. You know, seeing Hulk fight abomination, seeing Iron Man fight Ironmonger. Um, you know, seeing Captain America fight Red Skull, these are all characters where they have the same power set, and it's it's interesting for a very short time, and that's about it. Yeah. And it wasn't done any better. Like, we peaked in 2010 when Edgar Wright did it for Nega Scott. <laughs> yeah, when they were like, oh, he's actually just a cool guy. Right. Yeah, we're getting brunch. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's what, that's what helps make Scott Pilgrim versus the world, the movie, incredible right because it it looked square at that and makes fun of it because it is it is a problem right and it is easy what what is ironmonger he is a bigger more powerful version of iron man that's it yeah so iron man just has to be clever to beat him because everything he does he does better basically and he wasn't that clever he set off like a A bomb bomb (laughs) yeah in the middle of a city fully expected to die with it so since you brought that up, why doesn't he die? Convenient. <laughs> because yeah, because the MC is over if he's gone. Clearly, right? But they like I feel like something could have been done. He falls down, and so he misses the brunt of the explosion by being below. But he, like he's up, like just feet away from Obadiah. Obadiah is dead, and Tony's fine. And they don't really explain it. They cut to black and you see him at the press conference. I guess I just kind of took it more as like it was an electrical, like it was an explosion, like a thing that fried electrical systems. Mm -hmm. 
and because Tony's suit was out of power, that it didn't affect him, but, like, because Obadiah's was, like, still massively powerful, it overloaded his arc reactor. Interesting. Interesting. And killed him. That's the way I took it, but, like, it, it is a little, that's a little convenient, right? It's not ever, it's, I get on you when you do this stuff, when you, like, find some <laughs> out-of-universe explanation for why it works that's never given in the movie. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's the best explanation I can come up with for it, but yeah, it's not great. It's, it certainly should have been covered in the movie. Yeah. Fair enough. There's, I mean, there's a couple moments in the fight that are cool. Um, you know, I, I like that the ice thing comes back, but nothing comes of it. We don't even get to see what Ironmonger goes through before he comes back online. He's just fine again, Yeah, uh, which is kind of a, a bummer, uh, ripping out, uh, all of the targeting scanners and the you know the HUD and everything. So Obadiah has to open the suit is kind of neat. I like that. I think it's a cool way to make that's, him go face to face. That's the worst part of the green screen and see. Oh yeah, it was not that. good. And it reminded me of Total Recall with that little guy that's on like the stomach. Uh, of, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's like all this creepy looking little guy. And but that the, was a practical oh. effect. It was. That one actually looked better. I'm saying that that, that reminded me of that. Gotcha. <laughs> but even then, it's still better than what we've got coming next. The CGI in the Hulk is so bad. It's rough, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, again, like the whole character has to be CGI, so I, I'm a little more forgiving. But I mean, I don't really care for that movie, so I'm sure I'll have a lot to say about that. But, but going to that sequence uh, where he's like tar- trying to target Tony... That, that 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 whole sequence was just painful for me to watch. Oh, like, no, God, Jeff yeah. Bridges couldn't save it. Like it was just okay. So this guy has a super powerful suit. He's not going to do anything though. He's literally just even though his targeting system's ripped out, he's just going to stand there and be like, "Okay, I got to move three inches to the left. Just hang on there, Tony. Don't do anything." And Hold he takes still. like four shots. Yeah, it, it, that was painful. Even like, Bridges sounded annoyed, and I don't know if that yeah. was supposed to be Obadiah annoyed, but it felt like Bridges was annoyed. <laughs> Yeah, like, this is terrible, guys. We got to do something about this. Yeah, it was not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I truly wish that they would have shown the Ironmonger uh, armor break off more. If we would have seen more damage and, like, by the end, he is, like, his goal to just, at this point, kill Stark himself is getting in the way of him protecting himself and he's got like bits and pieces falling off everywhere and it just he was going to be relentless like i wish that would have happened because that would have made way more sense to see uh him like struggling to shoot and things like that Mm -hmm. one thing i did like about the ironmonger suit they did a good job of like highlighting was when he's going to fly uh the weight of the suit and like the amount of thrust needed to push the suit up it wasn't like tony taking off Mm -hmm. it was much weightier and i thought that was they did a good job with that because if he had just taken off like tony would have been like what the fuck this is how is this giant suit why didn't tony make his suit giant if it can just take off like that yeah it was like a rocket you know yeah Yeah, it had to have a burn for a second to like start getting some power built up Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. like that a lot, um, and, and there are some other like really cool moments still that that stand out to me. You know, there's there's the iconic one when Tony first takes the suit out to to go stop terrorists, right? And he's fighting the tank 
right? And the, he dodges the tank and then he shoots this tiny little missile and walks away, you know, with the explosion behind him. That shot still looks freaking awesome. I don't know. I thought the CGI was rough on that shot. Really? Mm-hmm. How did you watch it? I'm curious. On my TV? Like, did you, were you streaming it or were you? Yeah, so I was streaming it through Disney Plus, yeah, through my TV's, looked, Disney Plus app. I thought it looked good thought it looked good it's a cool scene like i get it bad guy or cool guys don't look at explosions but um <laughs> you know in reality i don't think that what's he walking away from you know that was that shut up, that whole setup was just like to be cool to be cool yeah. you know why did why wouldn't he just fly back up people are probably getting shot and killed like five five hundred feet away while he's doing his cool guy walk away from this exploding tank he's new at this you know i'm sure so he's got to look cool that's more important He's he's learning the ropes. I mean, that was the trailer shot. Like I get yeah. it. That's the one they put in all the trailers. But you know, yeah, it's true. it wasn't it wasn't as cool to me now as it was in two thousand eight. I also think the the scene where he puts on the Mark III armor for the first time, you know, and that they it's a it's a very extended scene, right? Meant to show off the whole thing. I still think that's a really cool scene. It's a cool scene, but again, the CG was rough. It looked like his head was like copy pasted on an MS Paint. Oh, into the CG on. scene, yeah. The shading's not right. Like where it's supposed to be him, like in shadow, right? Because it's around his face. It 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 it's a little off. Yeah, it doesn't look good. Yeah, didn't hold up. But Ray, you liked that bit. I did. Yeah, I think it's fun. I think the first time an actor gets to put on the superhero costume really makes them come alive, and I've never seen a scene uh, like that where the actor didn't enjoy it. It was cool. It's a cool scene. Like, don't get me wrong. I just think that when it got to the face, the CG was definitely noticeable. But the actual scene itself is really cool. Seeing, you know, all the mechanics, the, the Allen head screws going in and turning and, you know, the things being tested, the flaps going out. And, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely a cool scene. Mm -hmm. And his is more visually interesting than watching like Captain America, like zip up, you know, <laughs> like what are you going to see on a Captain America suit? The, the shield go, you know, on his back. Yeah. That's about it. You know, <laughs> whereas this one had a lot of cool moving pieces mm -hmm. uh, and you kind of lost that too, though. in the later movies when the suit ups happen so quickly, like you he could just lay back in a seat and be shot out the back of a helicopter in his suit, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's why I like the briefcase one in Iron Man 2. I think that's a pretty cool sequence. That's been a while since I've watched it, so we'll see when we get to that one. But um yeah, that's why I love this one. It's just it's the most tactile, you know, even even with some of the issues. Agreed. So you know, other fun stuff. I like his press conference at the end. You know, he gets up there, he's supposed to read the cue cards. I mean, it's Tony Stark. He's never read the cue cards in his life, so I don't know why they expected him to do it this time. And he goes off script and he's, you know, he, he, he talks about, you know, I don't know. I don't know that I would call myself a hero or whatever. And she's like, I, I didn't call you a hero. <laughs> that line makes me laugh every time uh, just because of his reaction to it. But I, I like the tone that that speech sets because it sets the precedent of these people not really having secret identities, which in a superhero universe is kind of a new concept, at least in film. Um, you know, all of the DC heroes are supposed to be anonymous. And, 
you know, Marvel was that way before Iron Man in the films, right? All of the X-Men uh, you know, have secret identities and the Fantastic Four have secret identities. And so this was a big change. What? Fantastic Four was not. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they had very. Yeah. Johnny Blaze literally, or not Johnny Blaze. But... <laughs> <laughs> you know, Human Torch, you would go out and, uh, and you're like. Right, you're right. They're a bad to... example. Yeah. But the, the X-Men do. But Bruce ba- yeah, Bruce Banner. That's the to problem with the X-Men because you had the Fantastic Four and the Avengers come out uh, before then. And uh, the public in the comics love them. They love their heroes. And all of a sudden they hate the X-Men. Like, makes no damn sense. <laughs> like, nothing about it. Like, I get what they were going for. But the X-Men in the world of Marvel does not make any sense that's fair that's yeah, why they always feel so separated in my opinion yeah the the that was a cool reveal at the end of this movie in 2008 um you know finally seeing somebody just embracing that they are this character but then that got a little ridiculous because you know when civil war was coming out in the comics civil war is uh, very much about secret identities being registered with the government and things like that but they couldn't do that because none of their characters had secret identities so while it was cool in the first Iron Man film, it kind of got to be a little much because none of the characters cared the fact that their secret identities were out in the open mm-hmm. yeah, and everybody and Peter, knew them, you know? Peter's the only one in the MCU who really cares about that. Yeah, and, and it's now it's now he lost it. Right. Now he, now he doesn't have that anymore, so... It's definitely a deviation from the comics, and they've had to, you know, write differently around it it civil war was not going to be the same uh movie because of it no but i think it was a worse movie because they could do too. that personally i think if they had set it up a little bit better to lean on that into a similar storyline then it would have been much better well in my opinion uh focusing more on being employees of the world instead of you know their own agents and mixing that with the Bucky stuff, with the Black Panther stuff, it wasn't blended as well. And I think people really, including the directors, really just wanted that airport scene. Well, if it if, if didn't have weight to it, because exactly. a lot of the shit we didn't really care about. We didn't know Tony Stark's dad. We got some glimpses of him in Iron Man 2, I think, but... And in uh, First Captain America, he was in that one, too, I think. But, um, you know, we really it's not like we were super attached to him. So the fact that Bucky murdered him, it was like, okay, like that sucks for Tony. But there's not that much weight to to that. And, and, And all the other drama felt manufactured because it wasn't something that felt earned or natural. And we all had that complaint after we saw Civil War. You know, it didn't have like it seemed like two toddlers fighting over something because there was no anyway you, you, yeah. we've talked about it a lot you well, know what i mean just when you get to avengers the first avengers movie your core cast none of them there's not like a good way for them to have secret identities right like tony reveals his all right but you know you've got thor who doesn't have one because he's a god you've got steve who 
I mean, does it does it matter? Like he was thought dead 75 years ago. So I don't know that there's an identity. He doesn't really have a personal life. Natasha doesn't either. Either. She's an assassin. Well, Natasha is a secret government agent and she goes public at the end of um, Winter Soldier. So she's out. And before that, it would have been a big deal to her life, but yeah. it was not. I mean, really, I guess Bruce Banner is the only one who really hides, but a lot of people know he's the Hulk. Yeah, it's not a secret at all. You know, like people might not recognize him at a, at a particular point in time. It's like basically the core group already, like it just doesn't work, you know, and yeah. later characters, you know, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Spider-Man, those they could have kept those identities a secret, I think a little bit easier, but they just didn't really do it. I think it would have been better if they had just waited until they had mutants in the MCU. Um, you know, and obviously it wouldn't work quite the same way because Iron Man wouldn't be around, but you can do it without Iron Man. Um, you know, but the mutants, like we talked about, a lot of X-Men, they are not public with their powers. Um, so I think that that would have been a huge thing. You know, or like you have Daredevil or, uh, I don't know, is, is She-Hulk well known that she's also Hulk? Or is that a secret identity for her too? It Jennifer goes Walters, back and right? forth. Uh, she was on the side of outing herself, so she did. What, she, she she did reveal that, but she wasn't yeah. revealed before no. Civil War, right? It was a secret. So, I mean, when you have more characters like we have now in these phases, I think it would have worked much better. Yeah. yeah. As a later movie, even if you kept Iron Man out of it, you don't have that tension between Iron Man and Captain America. You do it through somebody else. But um, yeah, that would have been much better, I think. And well, we said uh, when we reviewed um, Civil War, one, Civil War, <laughs> that it would have held more weight with more people because you can't have something with the word war in it, and there's not. It's like 12 people. Yeah. Yeah. Most of which are just brand new. Yeah. It's not a war. It's a slap fight in an airport hangar. And it's just, it would have been a lot better had there was, you know, people actually died. Well, right. Because that's the whole point. It's like when Rhodey gets hurt, everyone's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what we're doing here. Right. Like everyone's like dialed back on purpose. And I mean, we're way off in the weeds now. We can talk about Civil War in like two years when we get back around to it, I think. Okay. Episode 350. Sounds good. All right. <laughs> um, is there anything else from the first Iron Man movie that we didn't touch on that you want to make sure we we discuss? I found Rhodey a little whiny and I didn't like him in the beginning. He gets better as the movie goes on. Fair enough. That's just me. Fair enough. Do you think that Raza is still alive? No. So you think they just killed No, they screen? executed everybody, yeah. They killed everybody in the camp. Yeah, well, they I totally believe they did that. We saw all the dead bodies outside, but Obadiah just left the dude there. Maybe. Yeah, why would he leave the one dude that knows exactly what he did that's the head of a terrorist organization? You know what I mean? It doesn't make any like sense. Like leaving Tony alive? <laughs> I mean, it's but this was in the part of the movie when things were making sense. 
I'm just saying, logically, if you just look at the way the guy acted, he would have leaving them both alive makes more sense than leaving one of them alive. So did you ask that question just so you could argue with me? No, I was curious if anybody agreed with me. No. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, then I think that's good. I think that's a good spot to stop. Um, I think that we've covered a lot of ground. If you have any thoughts out there in the podcast verse about 2008's Iron Man and, you know, comparing it to what? Do you think it holds up? Yeah. Like to, to, to our listeners, do you think it holds up? And is there anything that you think, you know, they carried through to the end of the Infinity Saga that, you know, we didn't mention that you really liked or maybe it was a, a small, nice touch, something like that. You know, let us know. You can find all of our links at screen-heroes.com. All of our stuff is out there, so please go check that out. And don't forget, you can join us live Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central, on our Facebook page, Screen Heroes Podcast on Facebook. And you can chat with us during the show. We appreciate everybody who does that, so thank you very much. And we have our group on Facebook, the Screen Heroes Podcast Forum, where we post news, memes, polls, uh tournaments lots of fun good conversation time so come join that group and talk to us about marvel dc sci-fi fantasy you name it as long as it's entertainment it's fair game i am derek you can find me at the star trek dude on twitter ryan where can people find you at buster props and ray what about you i'm at uh siren ray Thank you, everyone, for joining us for our 250th episode. We will return to the MCU Revisited segment in a month with The Incredible Hulk, and we will be back next week with an all-new episode. Thank you, everyone. We will catch you next time. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary VTW void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus